Amen. All right, well, we're there in uh, Acts chapter number uh, 15, and we've been going through a series on Sunday mornings entitled Developing People Skills, and we've been looking at different conflicts within Scripture and learning about those conflicts and how they could have been resolved or how they should have been resolved. And if you remember, we, this is now the third uh, sermon in this, uh, in this series. Next Sunday morning, I won't be preaching on this series. We'll be in our Red Hot Preaching Conference. I'll preach a different sermon, but we'll get back to it the week after that. Remember, we started this series uh, several weeks ago, a couple weeks ago, uh, and we were looking at Gideon versus Jephthah. Remember that? And we're looking at how Gideon uh, dealt with a situation and how Jephthah dealt with a very similar situation and how they, one, was able to esteem others better than themselves while the other one failed at that. Last week, we saw Samson versus the Philistines, and we learned about recompense to no man, evil uh, for evil. This week, we're going to learn a third uh, people's skill, and this is a skill to help you resolve conflicts in your own life, to help you have good marriages and good friendships and good relationships, to help you keep peace at work and things like that. And here in the story, you find a conflict between two great men, the Apostle Paul and the Apostle Barnabas. If you look down at verse number 35, the Bible says, Paul... Also, and Barnabas continued in Antioch. Now, if you remember, Paul and Barnabas are partners that have gone at this point uh, on a first missionary journey. They are now back home. We, we learned about the fact that they are dealing with some issues within the church there, false doctrine coming in. But they're basically back home now. And they're, they're uh, what we would call, they're on furlough. They're just home. They're in Antioch. Notice verse 35, Paul and also Barnabas continued in Antioch, teaching and preaching the word of the Lord with many others also. Notice verse 36. And some days after, Paul said unto Barnabas, let us go again. Now he's referring to, let's go on another missionary journey. Let's go, uh, you know, visit the people that we've won to the Lord. Let's go um, start new churches. He says, let us go again and visit our brethren in every city where we have preached the word of the Lord and see how they do. Notice verse 37. And Barnabas determined to take with them John, whose surname was Mark. But Paul thought not good to take him with them, who departed from them from Pamphylia and went not with them to the work. So they're planning on going, they decided to go on another missionary journey, and Paul and Barnabas have a dispute about whether or not to bring John Mark with them on this second missionary journey. And this dispute got so heated that it actually ended the relationship of Paul and Barnabas. No, notice verse 38, but Paul thought not good to take him with them, who departed from them, from Pamphylia, and went not with them to the work. Notice uh, verse 40, uh, I'm sorry, 39, and the, uh, and the contention was so sharp between them. The contention was so sharp between them that they departed asunder one from the other. And so Barnabas took Mark and sailed unto Cyprus, and Paul chose Silas and departed, being recommended by the brethren unto the grace of God. Now, you got to ask this question. Why did Paul not want to take John Mark? Well, the answer is there in verse 38. Notice, but Paul thought not good to take him with them. Here's why. Who departed from them who departed from them from Pamphylia and went not with them to the work. See, John Mark had gone with them on the first missionary journey, but the problem is that John Mark quit halfway through the journey. He decided to go back home. He decided to not continue. In fact, we can read about it in Acts 13. Flip, flip back to Acts 13 just real quickly and look down at verse number 13. Acts 13 and verse 13 all of these sermons in our developing people skills 
have kind of been similar in the sense that I've got to develop the story for you. And we're going to we're going to look at a lot of different things. I, I need you to just kind of stay with me as we go through the Bible. I'm going to bring a lot of parts together. We're going to connect them all at the end. And Lord willing, they'll make sense. But notice Acts 13 and verse 13. The Bible says, now, when Paul and his company lose from Paphos, they came to Perga in Pamphylia. Notice and John departing from them return to Jerusalem. Now, we're going to look at this later on in the sermon, but John's mom lives in Jerusalem. So basically, John Mark decided to go on a missionary journey with the Apostle Paul, with Barnabas. I mean, wouldn't you have loved to have been a young person and been able to go on a missionary journey with Paul? But the problem is that that Mark decided halfway through the journey, he said, you know what, I'm going to go back home to Mama. I'm going to go back home. I, I quit. It's too hard. It's too much work. The hours are too long. I didn't realize it was going to be like this. And he quit on them. He quit on them. And now they're getting ready to go on a second journey. Barnabas says, hey, let's take John Mark. And Paul says, no. And they argue. And they have a dispute. And the dispute, the contention was so sharp between them that they departed asunder one from the other. And so Barnabas took Mark and Paul chose Silas. So here's a question, and this is a question we all ask when a dispute arises. The question that comes to every person's mind when there's a conflict, when there's an argument, here's the question that we all want to get to the bottom of, and it's this. Who's right? Who is right? When Paul and Barnabas are arguing and fighting about whether or not they should take Mark with them, which one of those two men is correct in their reasoning? Well, I'd like to just, and this is all kind of introduction, but let me give you some reasons as to why Paul may be right. And I'd also like to give you some reasons as to why Barnabas may be right, all right? So just stick with me. Here's the first reason why Paul may be right. Look at verse 40, Acts 15 and verse 40. In fact, let's just read verse 39 to get the context a little bit. The contention was so sharp between them that they departed asunder one from the other. And so Barnabas took Mark and sailed to Cyprus, and Paul chose Silas. But I want you to notice what it says about Paul and not about Silas. And Paul chose Silas, verse 40, verse 40, and departed, notice these words, being recommended by the brethren unto the grace of God. So if you're looking for reasons, because we always want to figure this out, right? When there's a conflict, when there's an argument, when somebody's fighting, we always want to ask this question. Who's right? Who's correct? Who's the one that's wrong here? And if you're looking for reasons as to why Paul may be right, one of the reasons could be the fact that Paul is the one who received the recommendation from the brethren. See, in ministry, you don't just go off and do whatever you want. You don't self-ordain and just do whatever. You have to be recommended by the brethren. You have to be sent out by the church. And in this situation, it's clear. The Bible tells us Barnabas took Mark and sailed unto Cyprus. And Paul chose Silas and departed, being recommended by the brethren. Another reason why we may consider that Paul may be right in this argument is the fact not only that Paul received the recommendation from the brethren, by the, but the fact that Paul continues to be the focus of the book of Acts while Barnabas disappears. For the rest of the book of Acts, I mean, the entire book of Acts, once you get into the story of Paul, basically becomes the story of Paul. 
and his missionary journeys. And, and from here on, we read about Paul and Silas and the great works that they do. But if you notice, I want you to notice verse 39, Acts 15, 39. The contention was so sharp between them that they departed asunder, one from the other. And so, I want you to notice the name Barnabas. You see the name Barnabas right there? Uh, Acts 15, 39. And so Barnabas, that name Barnabas right there, Acts 15, 39, is the last time we see Barnabas in the book of Acts. When he took Mark and sailed unto Cyprus. But for the rest of the book of Acts, we read about Paul and Silas and his journeys and the things, the great things that he accomplished for God. And we read that he was recommended by the brethren. Another reason that we may consider that Paul is correct in this argument is found in the book of Colossians. Now keep your place there in the book of Acts. That's our text for this morning. But go into the book of Colossians. If you're in Acts, you're going to go past Romans, 1st, 2nd Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. Colossians chapter number 4 and look at verse number 10. Colossians chapter number 4 and verse number 10. Paul may have, and please hear what I'm saying. I'm not saying that Paul thought this, but Paul may have thought, and I think it's a pretty good idea, that Paul may have thought that Barnabas was only going easy or going soft on Mark because of the fact that they were related. Are you there in Colossians chapter 4? Look at verse 10. Acts, Romans, 1st, 2nd Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. Colossians chapter 4, verse 10. Notice what it says. Articus, my fellow prisoner, saluteth you. And notice this name, Marcus. That's Mark. John Mark. Marcus, notice what he says. Sister's son to Barnabas. Now, what does that phrase sister's son mean? The term sister's son means the son of the sister of Barnabas. What does that make him? The nephew of Barnabas. See, Marcus was related to Barnabas. Barnabas was the uncle of Mark. And it's easy to see why when Mark quits halfway through and now they're getting ready to go on another journey, here comes Uncle Barnabas saying, I was thinking we'd take Mark with us. And Paul says, Mark's a quitter. Mark didn't, he doesn't have what it takes. We're we're not taking him with us. And you say, well, who's right? Well, if you're looking for reasons as to why, why Paul may be right, well, he is the one that received the recommendation from the brethren. He is the one who the book of Acts focuses on for the rest of the book of Acts. And we don't read about Barnabas in the book of Acts anymore. We read about him in other books, but we don't read about Barnabas in the book of Acts anymore. And it may be, it may have crossed the mind of thought, the the thought of, of Paul, that maybe, maybe, just maybe, Barnabas is going easy on John Mark because of the fact that it's his nephew. Go to the book of 2 Timothy, chapter number 4. 2 Timothy. If you're in Colossians, you're going to go past the book of 1 and 2 Thessalonians, 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy. When you get to 2 Timothy, do me a favor and put a ribbon or a bookmark there. We're going to leave it and we're going to come back to it. Remember I told you at the beginning of the sermon, this is, I, got, I have to develop this whole thing. We're going to look at a lot of different parts. We're going to bring it all together at the end. I gave you reasons as to why, because we're watching Paul and Barnabas argue. We're watching them be in conflict. And we want to answer the question, the question that we always want to ask whenever you're arguing with your spouse or arguing with a coworker or arguing with somebody in church, we always want to ask the question, who's right? Who's right? And we looked at reasons, you know, why Paul may be right. Paul may be right because he received the recommendation from the brethren. Paul may be right because he continues to be the focus of the book of Acts. Paul may be right because it may just be that Barnabas is going easy on his nephew. But let's talk about just real quickly some reasons why Barnabas may be right. Some reasons as to why Barnabas may be right. The major reason as to why Barnabas may be right in this conflict falls in the way that Paul 
sees Mark later on in his life. Now, the book of 2 Timothy is commonly accepted as being the last letter that the Apostle Paul wrote before he dies. And I want you to notice what he says about Mark in 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verse number 11. 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verse number 11 says this, Only Luke is with me. Now, this is Paul writing to Timothy. Notice what he says. He says, Take Mark, John Mark, the quitter. But notice, he's not a quitter anymore. Take Mark and bring him. Bring who? Bring Mark with thee. He's saying, Timothy, I want you to bring Mark with you. Why? Now notice what he says. Why? For he, for who? For he, Mark, is profitable to me for the ministry. Now look, it ought to be encouraging to all of us. And let me explain something to you. If you're here this morning and you ever quit on God, realize that that doesn't have to be the last chapter of your story. There can't be restoration. Mark, obviously, was at some point got back in the things of God. He got back in the battle. And yes, Paul may have been suspicious. And yes, Paul may have thought, I don't know about this guy. But it obviously got to the point in Paul's life where he looked at Mark and he said, you know what? He is profitable to me for the ministry. So maybe, just maybe, Barnabas was right. Here's another reason why Barnabas may have been right. Go, go back to the book of Acts. Go to Acts chapter number 12. Acts chapter number 12. Now, we can't prove this definitively from Scripture, but I want you to notice that it is highly likely, it is highly likely that John Mark, the young quitter, who eventually got back in the, in the fight, it is highly likely that John Mark may have been the, in, the human instrument used of God to pen down the gospel according to Mark. It may have been John Mark who wrote the Gospel of Mark. You say, well, why, why would you say that it's, that's likely? Acts chapter 12, look at verse 11. And when Peter was come to himself. Now, we're, we're jumping in the story of Peter when he basically gets, he, an angel shows up and breaks him out of prison. And when Peter was come to himself, you got to read the Bible and not just watch Hollywood movies. You, know, you, you want to watch these movies where they're getting broken out of prison. You know, the, God's, God's breaking people out of prison. You know, in the book of Acts. And when Peter was come to himself, he said, and notice what he says, Now I know of a surety that the Lord has sent his angel and hath delivered me out of the hand of Herod from all the expectations of the people of the Jews. And when he had considered the thing, he, Peter, came to the house of Mary, notice, Mary, the mother of John, whose surname was Mark, where many were gathered together praying. The prayer meeting to break Peter out of prison was held at the house of of Mary, who was the mother of John Mark. Go, go to 1 Peter. If you kept your place in 2 Timothy, remember I asked you to keep your place in 2 Timothy? If you kept your place in 2 Timothy, you're going to go past Titus, Philemon, Hebrews, James, 1 Peter. 2 Timothy, Titus, Philemon, Hebrews, James, 1 Peter. I want you to understand, John Mark's family were key players in the ministry of the early church and in the ministry of Christ. His mother was Mary. His uncle was Barnabas. And the Bible also tells us that John Mark had a very close connection and relationship to the Apostle Peter. Are you there in 1 Peter chapter 5? Look at verse 13. Notice what the Apostle Peter writes. He says in 1 Peter 5, 13. 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 13. The church that is at Babylon elected together with you, saluteth you, and notice what Peter says, so doth Marcus my son. You see Peter having, the Apostle Peter having a very close relationship with Marcus. And it may have been Peter who was giving the stories to John Mark to write down the gospel according to Mark. And it's very 
probable that it was John Mark who was there because his mother Mary was very involved in the ministry of Christ. His uh, uncle Barnabas was an apostle that was highly used of God in the ministry. He had a connection. He was so close to the apostle Peter that Peter would call him his son. So here's a question. Who's right? Who's right? I mean, you can look at the text and say, well, Paul received the recommendation from the brethren and Silas didn't. Well, the focus continues on the Apostle Paul for the rest of the book of Acts, and we don't read about Barnabas anymore. You can say, well, yeah, but Paul later on, asked, later on asked for Mark to come, and he was profitable, and that proves that he was right, and that proves that he was wrong. And here's what you need to understand about Paul and Barnabas. And again, I'm, I'm, we're bringing a lot of pieces. I'm just kind of putting them out there. We're going to connect them all in a minute, but I want you to understand a couple of things. You must understand a few things about Paul and about Barnabas. Go to Acts chapter number 9. Acts chapter 9. I know we're flipping a lot and looking at a lot. A big introduction, but we're, I'm going to make a point, and we won't be too long, Lord willing. Acts chapter 9. To understand the dynamics, to understand the dynamics of this whole situation, you need to understand a couple of things about Paul and a couple of things about, about uh, Barnabas. Paul, here's what you need to understand about Paul. Paul was a man on a mission. Paul was a man on a mission. Acts 9 and verse 15. But the Lord said unto him. Now this is Ananias. This is Ananias getting ready to go minister to Saul, who will one day be Paul. And Ananias is saying, I've heard a lot of things about this guy. This guy kills Christians. You know, are you sure, God? And I want you to notice what Jesus says to Ananias about Paul. But the Lord said unto him, go thy way. For he, for Saul, the man that will one day be Paul, for he is a chosen vessel unto me to, be, to bear my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. Jesus said before his, the ministry of Paul ever started, Jesus said, this man is going to be a vessel unto me that is going to bear my name to the Gentiles. Did the apostle Paul do that? I think the answer is yes. To kings, he stood before kings and testified of God and of Jesus, and to the children of Israel. Go to the book of Galatians, Galatians chapter 2. You got Acts, Romans, 1st, 2nd Corinthians, Galatians. Galatians chapter 2, look at verse 9. I realize I'm giving you a lot of info. Just kind of stake with me. We're going to put it all together. Galatians 2, look at verse 9. I want you to understand, Paul was a man on a mission. Yesterday I was out sewing with Brother Jared, and he was talking about, we're talking about a different situation, but he was talking about... Um, a personality trait of someone who's driven. Someone who's driven is someone who they're trying to get something done and they'll run over you in order to get it done. And I would submit to you that that was the Apostle Paul. Paul was a man on a mission. Paul had a job. Paul had a task. He needed to get something done. Galatians 2 verse 9. And when James, Cephas, and John, who seemed to be pillars, perceived the grace that was given unto me. This is the Apostle Paul speaking. Notice what he says. They gave to me and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship. Notice that we should go unto the heathen unto the Gentiles, and they unto the circumcision. He's uh, referring to the Jews. Here's what he's saying. They had this understanding. Paul and Barnabas are reaching the heathen. We're reaching the Gentiles. We're going to start churches. We're going to reach people. This man had a mission, and he was driven. He was driven. Nothing was going to stop him. Flip back from Galatians to 2 Corinthians chapter 11. Notice what the Apostle Paul said of himself. 2 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse 22. 2 Corinthians chapter number 11 and verse 22. Are they Hebrews? 2 Corinthians chapter 11 verse 22. Are they Hebrews? Notice what Paul says. So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they the seed of Abraham? So am I. Are they ministers of Christ? He's defending his apostleship. 
And here's what he's saying. Are they ministers of Christ? I speak as a fool. Now he says that because he's about to start bragging on himself and it's not good to brag on yourself. But he's trying to make a point because he's defending his ministry. They're attacking his ministry. He said, are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they the seed of Abraham? So am I. Are they ministers of Christ? I speak as a fool. Notice what he says. I am more. He said, if you're a minister of Christ, I'm more of a minister of Christ. You say, why, Paul? Notice, in labors, more abundant. In stripes above measure, in prisons more frequent, in death. Uh, here's what Paul was saying. No one works harder for Jesus than I do. No one has suffered more for Jesus than I have. He says, in labors, more abundant. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. You're there in 2 Corinthians? Just flip one page, uh, one, one book back. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Notice what he says in 1 Corinthians 15, 9. This is a more humble view of the Apostle Paul, but notice what he says. 1 Corinthians 59, For I am the least of the apostles, that am not meet to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and His grace which was bestowed upon me was not in vain, but, notice what he says, but I labored more abundantly than they all. Yeah, not I, but the grace of God which was with me. Hey, what to God we would have some young men that would stand up and say, I want to labor more abundantly than they all. What to God would have some soul winners and church members and pastors who would say, hey, I'd like to labor more abundantly than they all. I've got a cause. I've got a mission. Like David said, is there not a cause? Is there not a reason to fight and stand up and get up and preach and go out every day and try to do and attempt great things for God? That was the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul was a man that was driven. He had a mission and he might run over you to get it done. The Apostle Paul was a man on a mission. But I want you to understand something. While Paul was a man on a mission, Barnabas was a man with a burden. So what do you mean? Go to Acts chapter 4. Acts chapter 4. Look at verse 36. See, we see the apostle Paul, right? Driven. Gets up every day, just ready to do something, ready to accomplish something, ready to do great things for God. And bless God, he did. And I think that's a great characteristic. But while Paul had a mission, Barnabas had a burden. He had something that was on his heart. He had something that God had placed there. Notice Acts chapter 4 and verse 36. Acts chapter 4 and verse 36. And Joseph, and Joseph, who by the apostles was surnamed Barnabas. So this is our good friend Barnabas. His name was Joseph, but they surnamed him Barnabas. They changed his name to Barnabas. Notice what it says. Which is being interpreted the son of consolation. See, the name Barnabas means the son of consolation. And this man, Joseph, showed within his own life the attribute of being someone who they would call the son of consolation. What does it mean to console? It means to give comfort. It means to help those that are hurting. It means to minister and give strength to those that need help. And here's what I want you to understand. While Paul was a man who was driven on a mission, accomplishing great things for God, and he might just run over you to get it done, Saul, Barnabas, excuse me, was a man with a burden. In fact, his burden was so great, they changed his name, and they said, you know what, that guy, he's named Joseph, but you know what we should call him? The son of consolation. He consoles those that are hurting. He comforts those that need help. This was our friend Barnabas. And I want you to notice, the, other than John Mark, probably the best, the best example of Barnabas carrying out this burden that God gave him 
is in the life of the Apostle Paul. Go to Acts chapter 9. Acts chapter 9. I, I realize I'm giving you a lot. I hope, I hope you, can, you can get it. Look, Red Hot Preaching Conference, it'll be simple and it'll be dynamic and we'll yell and scream and spit, all right? But I want you to get this. I want you to get this. Get all these parts. We're going to put them together here in a second. Acts 9. Look at verse 26. Acts chapter 9, verse 26. And when Saul, remember our good friend Saul? He just got saved. The problem with Saul is that he has a history. He persecuted the church. He killed Christians. Notice what happens. And when Saul was come to Jerusalem, he assayed. The word assayed means he attempted to join himself to the disciples. That's a good thing to do when you get saved, isn't it? To get joined up with the disciples, to go to church, to get connected. But notice how they responded to him. But they were all afraid of him. And I would say with good reason. But they were all afraid of him and believed not that he was a disciple. They said, this guy's lying. This guy just wants to cut. He's the one that's killing our people. He's the one that's persecuting the church. He's the one that's wreaking havoc of the church. He's putting people in prison. I don't think this guy got saved. He just wants to come in here so he can find out who we are, so he can find out where we live, so he can arrest us. And he was trying to get connected in church. And they were all scared. And I want you to notice the person that reaches out to Paul when he has no friend. Verse 27. But Barnabas, but Barnabas took him, took who? Saul, and brought him to the apostles and declared unto them how he had seen the Lord in the way and that he had spoken to him and how he had preached boldly at Damascus in the name of Jesus. Notice, and because of the ministry of the son of consolation, verse 28, and he, Saul, was with them, the disciples, the apostles, coming in and going out at Jerusalem. Here's what I want you to understand. Barnabas may not have had the same drive and mission that Paul had, but Barnabas had something different. He had a burden. He had a, he, he had a heart of comfort and consolation. He would look at people that maybe needed some encouragement, maybe people that others had given up on, like John, Mark, like young Saul. And he had something in him, a gift that God had given him to reach out to those people. Here's what I understand. Paul was driven, but Barnabas, Barnabas, he had a burden. See, Paul could not spend time. He could not invest his time on someone as needy as John Mark because he had a vision. He had a ministry. He, had, he was driven. He had something to do. While Barnabas could not ignore the needs of someone like John Mark who needed Someone to reach out to him, who needed someone to help him. So here's the question. Why the breakdown between Paul and Barnabas? Now, to, to answer that question, we need to go to the book of Proverbs. So keep your place there in our New Testament books and go to the book of Proverbs. If you open your Bible just right in the center, you're more than likely find the book of Psalms. Right after the book of Psalms, you got the book of Proverbs. While you turn there, I want to explain to you, there is a term that has actually been, there's a syndrome, I should say, or, or a way of thinking that is so prevalent within humanity that psychologists and neuroscientists have actually given it a name. They've determined it's a condition that they call the self-serving bias. Some people call it a vain brain. And here's what you need to understand. All of us, all of us have a self-serving bias syndrome. All of us suffer from a vain brain. You say, what, what do you mean by that? 
This condition causes our brain, this condition causes your brain, this condition causes my brain to embellish, enhance, and aggrandize us whenever we are challenged. Surveys indicate that when asked, we will modestly and reluctantly express that we are more honest than most people, better motivated employees than most employees, and better drivers than most people. I mean, a study of the self-perception of better drivers included a sample of people in emergency rooms shortly after they had been extra extracted from their wrecked vehicles, and they still answered as being better drivers than most people. See, the, the truth is that we never consider ourselves, here's the thing, we never consider ourselves in the bottom half of any dimension of human behavior. Isn't that true? Our self-serving bias and our vain brain excuses our faults and failures and keeps us blind to our own inadequacies. See, when things go well, we take full credit. When things go well, we take full credit. When they don't, we blame the circumstances. See, we have a syndrome, a self-serving bias, a vain brain that causes us to always see things the way we see them and to not acknowledge the way others see them. And see, the Bible even speaks to this. Are you there in Proverbs? Look at chapter 16 and verse 2. Proverbs chapter 16 and verse 2. I'm going to show you three verses in Proverbs. Next to these verses in my Bible, I, I drew an arrow and I wrote these words, self-serving bias. Acts 16 and verse 22. All the ways of a man are clean in his own eyes. Isn't that the self-serving bias? All the ways of a man are clean in his own eyes. But the Lord weighed the spirits. Notice Proverbs 18 and verse 17. Proverbs 18 and verse 17. Proverbs 18 and verse 17. He that is first, he that is first in his own cause seemeth just. Is that not the self-serving bias? Is that not the vain brain? He that is first in his own cause seemeth just, but his neighbor cometh and searcheth him. Go to Proverbs 21 and verse 2. Proverbs 21 and verse 2. Proverbs 21 and verse 2. Every way of a man. Proverbs 21 and verse 2. Every way of a man is right in his own eyes. Is that not the self-serving bias? Is that not the vain brain? You might have just had to bring out the jaws of life and pulled me out of my wrecked vehicle. But if you ask me if you're a pretty good driver compared to most people, I'm going to say, yeah. Why? Why do we do that? Here's why we do that. Because every way of man is right in his own eyes. But the Lord partners the hearts. See, and here's what you need to understand. The way that the self-serving bias or the vain brain affects our conflicts is very interesting. Because we have a self-serving bias where we always embellish ourselves, exaggerate ourselves. We always put ourselves, cast ourselves as the hero and the others as a villain. But when engaged in a conflict, our self-serving bias does several things. And here's what I understand. When we disagree, when we disagree, if you listen to this, it'll help your marriage. This, if you listen to this, it'll help you with your parenting, it'll help you at work, it'll help you with that boss. When we disagree, the self-serving bias, the vain brain, begins with the assumption that there is only one right answer and I've got it. Is that not true? When we fight and argue and have conflicts, we begin with this assumption. I'm right and only one person can be right. We also take this assumption, in order for me to be right, everyone else must be wrong. In order for me to be correct, you cannot be correct. 
If we, for whatever reason, don't have the right answer, that's fine. Because we will find the right answer while proving the other side wrong. We listen only. Isn't this true? We listen only to find flaws in the other person's arguments and in order to build our own counter-arguments. We listen only not to try to figure out whether maybe I'm wrong or my facts are wrong or maybe there's a possibility that that person is correct, but we listen only to find flaws in their arguments while building my own counter-arguments. We defend our assumptions as if they were concrete truths. We seek only a conclusion that will justify our position because after all, I know I'm right about this, whatever it is. Whatever it is, I don't even know what I'm arguing about. I just know this. I'm right, you're wrong. Because my self-serving bias, because my vain brain always puts me, always casts me in the position of the hero. And if I'm not right, I'll figure it out while I'm proving you wrong. A psychologist who was actually writing about this, they wrote about a personal illustration in their lives where they had a baby. And her husband, she said, her husband was putting the baby down for a nap. And she walks into the nursery. And she says to her husband, she says, no, 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 you're you're doing it all wrong. You don't put the baby on your right shoulder. You put the baby on your left shoulder. And you don't walk around the nursery in paces. You sit down in the rocking chair. You put the baby on your left shoulder. You sit down in the rocking chair. You rock back and forth. That's how she likes to be put down for a nap. The husband responds, so that's why it takes you so long to put the baby down for a nap. No, you have to put her on the right shoulder. She likes to be paced around. And do me a favor, bring the blinds down two-thirds halfway down because that's the exact amount of light that she likes in order to be able to take a nap. Isn't that how our relationships are? Go to any construction site and watch two guys argue about how to do the same thing. The vain brain, the self-serving bias always casts us as, I'm right, therefore you must be wrong. And there's only one person that can be right, and my self-serving brain, because I'm always first in my own cause, because I'm always right in my own eyes, because my way is always clean in my own eyes, because like the book of Judges says, every man did that which is right in his own eyes. I'm right, you're wrong. So what's the solution? Go go to the book of Philippians, Philippians chapter 2, Philippians chapter 2, and let me say this. My opinion, here's my opinion. You say, who's right, Barnabas or Paul? Here's my opinion. They're both right. They're both right. And here's my opinion. They're both wrong. They're both wrong. Because here's the thing. I believe, I believe it would have been wrong. It would have been wrong. It would have slowed Paul's progress down to bring a quitter like Mark. Because Mark needed a lot of attention. Mark needed a lot of encouragement. Mark was dealing with a lot of guilt and beating himself up over the failures of the past. And Paul was just, he just did not have the time to deal with that. But you know what? Barnabas, see, Barnabas did not have the same drive that Paul had, but he had something different, a gift that God had given him, a burden that God had put on him. And here's what you need to understand. Sometimes in our relationships, we come into conflicts with this idea only one person in this situation can be right but please consider this there are times there are times that there are conflicts that need to be resolved earlier in Acts 15 we learned about Paul and Barnabas fighting 
false doctrine coming into the church. That was a conflict that needed to be resolved. But please consider, sometimes there are conflicts that must be resolved, and sometimes there are tensions that simply need to be managed. There are situations where you may not have the same burden that I have, and you may not have the same gift that I have, and I don't have the same gift you have. And if I were simply, if I were simply to stop and think, my self-serving bias, my vain brain wants to tell me I'm right and you're wrong all the time. But if I were to just for a moment attempt to see things from your perspective, I may see, Paul, you're right. You can't waste your time with Mark. You're busy. You're doing great things. I may see, Barnabas, you're right. Mark needs someone to give him a hand. In fact, I remember when you gave me a hand when no one wanted to help me. Are you there in Philippians 2? And verse number 3 is the verse we dealt with in the first week of this series. Remember that? Let nothing be done to strive for vain glory, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem other better than themselves. Here's people's skill number 3 for week number 3 of the series. Verse 4. Look not every man on his own thing but every man also on the things of others. Look not every man on his own things, but every man on the things of others. And he's not talking about physically to be looking out for the stuff of other people. In fact, look at verse 21 just to get a little bit of that context of what that phrase means. Philippians 2.21, notice what he says. For all seek their own. Isn't that true? Aren't we all in it for ourselves? I I need to be justified. I need to be right. I need to be vindicated. I need to make sure that I don't look wrong. For all seek their own, not the things which are Jesus Christ. But listen to me. If you want to learn how to develop people's skills, if you want to learn how to uh, deal with people and uh, resolve conflicts within your marriage, with your children, within your workplace, within the church family, if you want to learn how to resolve conflicts and deal with people, we need to look not every man on his own things from his own perspective in his own way, but for a moment shut down our self-serving bias, shut down our vain brain, Step out of ourselves, but every man also on the things of others. And for one moment, and for just a moment, for a moment, for a moment, attempt, attempt to seek and see things from the other person's perspective. Say, who's right? I think they're both right. Who's wrong? I think they're both wrong. Because this was not a conflict that had to be resolved. It was simply a tension that needed to be managed. And these men were just at this moment in life looking at things only from their perspective. And we must seek to see things from the other person's perspective. So with that said, with all that said, let me just real quickly, I'm just going to read this to you. Let me give you seven practical lessons from this story. Number one, realize that not everybody shares your gifts or callings. Realize that not everybody shares your gifts or callings. God has given you gifts. God has given you callings. God has a purpose for your life. But not everybody shares your gifts. Not everybody's driven like you are, Paul. And by the way, not everybody has the mercy you have, Barnabas. Realize that not everyone shares your gifts or callings. Number two, don't try to fit others into your gifts and callings. Don't try to force other people into, well, I'm doing this so everyone else has to be doing this. 
Because it may not be everybody's, it may not be God's will for everybody, Paul, to be doing this. God may want some people doing other things in the same cause of Christ. Someone needed to minister to John Mark. Someone needed to encourage him. Someone needed to bring him back to the fold. Somebody did praise God. And the Apostle Paul later says, hey, that guy's profitable for me for the ministry. That guy may have written the gospel according to Mark. Realize that not everyone shares your gifts and callings. And don't try to fit others into your gifts and callings. And by the way, let me say this. Don't try to fit yourself into other people's gifts or callings. The Bible says they that measure themselves by themselves and compare themselves among themselves are not wise. Be careful to not be looking at other people and say, well, they're accomplishing this and they're accomplishing that and that that person got that promotion and they're living in this neighborhood and that pastor's doing this and if I don't do that, then I'm not... No, no, realize, realize that not everybody shares the same gifts and not everybody shares the same calling and not everybody's running the same race. Number three, be aware of your self-serving bias. Be aware that when a conflict arises, our natural inclination is to determine, to assume that I'm right and therefore everybody else is wrong. It's our sin nature. Number four, when in a conflict, when in a conflict, ask yourself, is this conflict, is this a conflict that needs to be resolved or is it simply a tension that needs to be managed? Because sometimes there are problems and we have to resolve them. But sometimes there's no problem. There's no problem here. All all Paul and Barnabas have to do is shake hands and say, hey, listen, you go help Mark. I'm going to take Silas with me. God bless you, brother. I'll be praying for you. That's not what happened. But there was not a conflict here that needed to be resolved. Just a tension that needed to be managed. Number five, realize that your motives may be questioned or misinterpreted. I'm sure, I'm sure within that heated argument, Paul said to Barnabas, he's just doing this because it's your nephew. And Barnabas would have said, well, are you my nephew? I helped you. Realize, realize that from time to time, you make decisions, you make choices, and those motives may be questioned or misinterpreted. And you need to realize and you need to determine why you do what you do, Barnabas. Why do you do what you do? Number six, when in conflict, attempt to act more mature than the other. See, the sad thing about this story is that both these great men of God, both of these great men of God, the Bible says the contention was so sharp that they departed asunder. They got so mad and so heated. Within a conflict, attempt to constrain yourself. Attempt to control yourself. Attempt to manage not only your self-serving bias, but your anger. Number seven, seek to see things from the other person's perspective. Because I, I, I bet you, I bet you, if you just took this moment to just stop and say, let me try to see this from their perspective. With their gifts and their callings, with their history and their inclinations, with the things that I know about Barnabas and the things I know about Paul, because here's what I think would have happened. If Barnabas would have just taken a moment to step back and say, let me see this from Paul's perspective, because I'm the one that brought Paul into this, and from the moment that I brought Paul into this, I've been hanging on to Paul. Because this guy's driven. 
Because this guy doesn't quit. This guy doesn't sleep. This guy just is charging. He's just like a bull in a china closet. I mean, he just he might run you over if you get in his way. And I think if Barnabas would have taken a moment to say, let me see this from Paul's perspective, he might have thought to himself, you know what, Paul? It may be best, it may be best for you to go with Silas and for me to take Mark. And if Paul would have taken the time to see it from his perspective, he might have said, you know what? I remember how you ministered to me and that was such a help. And I don't have the time to minister and invest that time into Mark, but I think, I think you have the right gifts and callings of God to be able to do that. Why don't you take Mark and I'll take Silas? But instead, they got mad and angry and fought. And as far as we know, we never see them connect again. So what's the people skills for this week? The people skills for this week is seek to see things from the other person's perspective. Seek to see things from the other person's perspective. Philippians 2.4 Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. Let's bow our heads and have a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, we come to you this morning asking that you please use this sermon, this story, these illustrations in our lives. And if we were honest with ourselves, if we were honest with ourselves, I think we would all agree that we have the tendency to see things only the way we see them. We have the tendency to assume that there's one right answer and we've got it. And in order for me to be right, everyone else has to be wrong. And Lord, I pray that you would help us when we engage in conflicts to step back for a moment, to put our self-serving bias on hold for a moment, and to just consider, to seek to see things from the perspective of others. I, I think it would help our marriages. I think it would help our friendships. I think it would help our church family. I think it would help every relationship we have. Thank you for these stories in Scripture. Thank you for these details you give us. Thank you for these principles you teach us. And Father, help us to not only acknowledge them as truth, but to begin to apply them in our lives. We love you. In the matchless name of Christ, we pray. Amen.